Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So here is an idea that uh, every single person in the room can relate to, no matter who you are, what you do or don't believe about faith or Jesus. Um, And it's this, that none of us, none of us are consistently who we want to be, right? Like this is, this is just true. We, we, none of us are consistently who we want to be. None of us are consistently who we know we should be. None of us are consistently who we, um, you know, believe we should be, who others need us to be. We, we all know this, right? Like in different seasons and different chapters of your life, you've experienced this, different moments where this, you know, th- this becomes abundantly clear, that depending on the night of the week and how your kids are doing, this becomes abundantly clear. Do you know what I mean? Like none of us, none of us are consistently who we want to be. Here Here's what's true for all of us, um, is that there's this aspirational you, okay? And, and this person is awesome, you know what I mean? Like, this person is so great. This person is amazing. Like, this person is healthy. This person doesn't have to be told twice. And I want you to think about you. Don't think about anybody else right now, okay? No elbows, none of that stuff right now, okay? Um, but this person is amazing. Like, they, they work out. They're resilient. They're loving. They're kind. They're compassionate. They're generous with their money and with their time. Um, they exhibit self-control. They have integrity and do the right thing no matter what it costs them. They've got a growing and a flourishing faith. I mean, like this person's amazing. Then unfortunately for all of us, there's the actual you, right? And this person, keep those elbows in. This, This person is a piece of work, you know what I mean? Not me, I'm fine. I'm talking about all of y'all. Right, like like this person, come on, this person, if we're just being honest, just being honest, like, you do things and you say things where you kind of leaves you the actual is like you don't even recognize that person, right? It's the person that says or does things that you end up regretting. The person that does or says things that ends up hurting other people. Like the actual you doesn't always have self-control, might lose it on their kids, rarely defers to their spouse, has unhealthy habits. They know they're unhealthy. They're there, maybe even aren't willing to work on them or do what they, come on. There's the aspiration of the actual you, and we could go on and on, but I don't, I don't wanna make you depressed three minutes into my sermon, so we're gonna stop there. But here's what's true. There's a gap, right? Like there's a gap. There's a gap between the aspirational you and the actual you. A gap that sometimes we are aware of, usually though after the gap has done some damage, but a gap that those closest to us are always aware of. In the gap, all right, come on, the gap, the gap is frustrating. The gap can be discouraging. The gap can be defeating, especially if you know, especially if you want different, especially if you want better. And especially if you're a Christian in the room, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you've ever bumped through those moments. I know you have, I certainly have, and we probably will again. It's like, we should know better by now. Like, we, we should know better. Like, is is God done with me? Like, is is, I just one too many times? Like, why am I not getting this right? Why can't I not figure this out? Why is this still the same 
problem? How come they feel like they've got it figured out? Like they're good, they're happy, she's perfect, he's awesome. Like why, why can't I figure this out? Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my faith? If you've ever been a follower of Jesus, you've bumped into that gap. And even there's been moments where you're like, oh, I'm getting better. And then you quickly realize, oh my gosh, I've still got a long way to go. And even if you're not a Christian, come on, you know this too. There's a version of you that's better than the version of you that gets out there every single day. You know this. This is why the self-help industry is worth tens of billions of dollars because there's something innately within the human experience where we wanna be different and we wanna be better. You wanna be a better spouse. You wanna be better parents. You wanna be better physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Maybe you wanna be more resilient in difficulty more hopeful in tragedy, wiser in your decision-making. Maybe there are certain struggles that you're just tired of them being struggles in your life anymore. To be human, regardless of what you do or don't believe about faith, to be human is to experience that gap. So today, we start a brand new series called The Art of Transformation. The art of transformation, where we're gonna be unpacking who it is that you are becoming. Who is it that you want to be? Are you becoming the person that others need you to be? Are you becoming, as we're gonna see, are you becoming who God desires you to be? And why in the world does that matter? And how do we become that person? And here's my hope personally, just for the series, for you and, and for our church. My hope is, is threefold. One, I hope to eliminate some of the frustration of the gap. Because as we're gonna find, this idea of transformation is a lifelong process. Number two, I wanna give us better handles on the actual process of what transformation looks like for each of us. And then, third, I want us to grasp a bigger vision for who God wants us to be because as we're gonna find, you might have an aspirational you, um, but I'm just telling you for some of us, um, God, what God wants for us and has for us might even be bigger and better than what our aspirations are. There's an author, um, he's, he's passed since then, author, theologian, uh, teacher, thinker, his name is Dallas Willard, has greatly impacted my faith. I've kind of just been eating this stuff up lately. I can't stop ordering his books on Amazon amongst everything else that I order on Amazon. Um, but Dallas Willard, um, he, he wrote this. And, and this guy, like, he's, he's so smart. He's so smart. I mean, his, his, like, you, you have to really focus to read his books. It's like one of those where, like, you're 10 minutes into one paragraph and forget what you read and you gotta start over. It's like one of those, kind of like, that's who he is. And this is what he wrote. The most important thing in life, the most important thing in life, he said, the most important thing in life is who you become. The most important thing in life is who you become. Because who you become determines the experience you have in your life and how others experience you in life. Who you become determines how people are raised by you, led by you, and or loved by you. Come on, who you become and who I become determines what kind of imprint we leave on this world. Who and who you become and who I become determines the level of fulfillment we walk with on this earth. Who you and I become will determine whether or not our lives furthers the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. And who you and I become is determined by who or what we allow to form us. 
John Mark Comer, another author that is, you know, pastor, preacher, has greatly impacted me. He wrote this. In fact, he wrote this in a foreword to one of Dallas Willard's books. So I just can't get enough of these guys. John Mark Comer, he wrote this. He said, what makes one's soul grow into a Nelson Mandela or Mother Teresa while others are deformed beyond human recognition into a force of evil? He says, this is the question of spiritual formation. Like what gives? What's the difference in those souls? The difference, he says, is in the spiritual formation. Now, this idea, this idea of spiritual formation, um, here's what's true. Don't let the spiritual part kind of confuse you. This is not a Christian idea. This is a human idea because here's what's true for every human in here, every human watching, listening, and every human that's ever walked the face of this earth. We are all being spiritually formed by something into someone. Every single one of us. The, the, the idea of spiritual, it's not a Christian thing. It's just the non-physical part of who you are, the inner self. And every human has a spirit. Every human has this inner self. And every single human, as you walk through life, that inner self takes on some kind of definite form and character. That you and I quite literally become who we are. The inner self, the non-physical self takes on form and it makes its way to the outside. Us becoming is a process of spiritual formation. And you don't get a choice as humans. You don't get a choice as to whether or not you're spiritually formed. All of us, every human, Christian or non-Christian, has been and will be spiritually formed in their lives. It's how you become who you are. Who you are on the inside takes on a definite form. But... We do get to decide who or what we allow to spiritually form us. And who we allow to spiritually form us will determine who we become. And Christian spiritual formation, Christian spiritual formation is when we allow Jesus to form who we are. Christian spiritual formation is when we allow the inner self to be formed by Jesus so that we look, live, and love more like Jesus. In fact, in fact, the primary, one of the primary purposes of your faith, in fact, I think you could argue it is the primary purpose of your faith on this side of heaven is to be transformed. To be transformed, to look, live, and love more like Jesus. To be transformed to where that gap gets a little bit smaller. We begin to actually grow in spiritual maturity, which is not connected to how much Bible you know, but how much more we actually look like Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he writes this in Galatians chapter 4, uh, 19. He says, I am again in the pains of childbirth. You know, I don't know, Paul, maybe you should pick a different analogy. But his point, right? All the women are like, he has no idea. And you're right, he doesn't. He has no idea. But to, to give you some credit, he's probably thinking of, like, he's just thinking, how can I communicate how much I feel this, how much this is such a big deal in a bird? He's like, I'm in the pains of childbirth until what? Until Christ is formed in you. This word form, it quite literally means to take on the form of. And this is, in fact, God's ideal and purposes for your faith and for our lives, that we might take on the form of, of Jesus, that he might be formed in us and we might look and live and love more like him. So, your question, how does that 
happen. Well, this series, this series serves as an introduction to that idea. While today is an introduction to the series, this series really is an introduction to the entire idea around spiritual formation. One that there are so many entire books on and one that I hope to do different aspects, different series on the various aspects of spiritual formation in the years to come in the life of our church. So today kind of serves this series as an introduction to the idea of spiritual formation. What it means and what it looks like. What's the process in the part that we play in being transformed in the image of Jesus. Now, really quickly, quick little um, aside. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're like, I don't really know that I wanna be transformed in the image of Jesus. I'm not really sure what I do or don't believe about faith. I, I, to, I, totally, I totally get that. Here's what I would say, is that for you, you probably do wanna be the best human that you can be. So I wanna level with you and start somewhere. Is that even if you're not sure what you do or don't believe about faith, by the end of this series, I hope you'll see you don't get a better human than Jesus. And while when you think about Christianity, I don't want you to think about becoming a Christian because you probably know some that aren't great, okay? That you've probably been hurt by some. We don't do a great job and I'm really, really sorry. The goal isn't to be like some Christian you know. The goal is to be like Jesus. And I hope by the end of this series, you'll see maybe by the end of the day, he really is the best human and maybe that's where you start. So, but to get us going on the art of transformation, because it really is an art. It really is an art. Like, um, there's no science to this. We're all on different journeys. It's all going to look a little bit differently. The plane of human personality is endless and infinite. So it really is an art. Um, and I want to talk to you about the process. So one of my seminary professors, um, he gave me this, this example, kind of this illustration to illustrate the process of transformation. I heard it back in 2012, and I have not forgotten it since, so clearly it was memorable, and I hope that you never forget it too. So shout out Dr. Holstein uh, for this example, okay? So he says, your, the, your transformation, he used the word sanctification. It's really the same thing, right? Looking more like Jesus. Um, transformation has two components, two components, um, and I wanna tell you what the two components are. You guys know uh, Dr. Seuss, okay? Dr. Seuss, um, um, he's these two characters. I think it's in the cat in the hat. I'm more of the foot book guy, uh, but you know, either, either one is fine. But there's these two characters in the cat in the hat. Um, you know these guys, right? Thing one and thing two. Yeah, you know these guys, right? Thing one and thing two. They pop out of the box and they kind of go crazy. They're these blue haired twins. They run around together. They're inseparable, Wherever thing one goes, thing two goes. You don't have thing two without thing one. You don't have thing one without thing two. They're right there together, literally always, all the time. You gotta have thing one and thing two together. Your transformation and my transformation is thing one and thing two. Thing one is God. Thing two is you. Thing one is God. Thing two is you. Both are crucial. Both are necessary. Both are essential. Both are needed. Transformation, the closing of the gap, growing in spiritual maturity as we look more like Jesus, does not happen without one or the other. Thing one and thing two. It's how God designed it. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's a combination of divine enablement and human responsibility. Divine enablement and human responsibility. Divine enablement and human responsibility. Thing one and thing two, leaning into one and ignoring the other, and we will miss it. 
So I wanna show you a passage. We're gonna be in one passage throughout the whole course of this series. It's a passage found in 2 Peter chapter one. We're gonna cover these 10 or 12 verses over the course of the next three weeks. And it's one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament. And Peter, who's one of Jesus' earliest disciples and the leader of the early church in Jerusalem for a while and, you know, monumental in our faith. These were his words on transformation. And I'm telling you, it's like he knew Dr. Seuss because it's thing one and thing two perfectly. I mean, this man lays it out. He outlined my sermon for me. Do you know what I mean? And so what we're gonna do today is the first couple of verses talk about thing one, and then we're gonna talk about thing two, and then we're gonna look at why it matters over the course of this series. So we're gonna be in 2 Peter chapter one. We're gonna unpack the first couple of verses where Peter really shows us thing one in the process and sets up thing to you and me. So Second Peter chapter one, he writes this. He says, his divine power, and he's talking about Jesus. We get that from verses one and two. Jesus's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Jesus's divine power has given, this word given denotes a gift. He's given us this gift, and the gift is everything that we need for a godly life. This word everything, in the Greek, it's really unique. It means everything, right? Not lacking 100% all that you need for a godly life. And that word, that, that phrase godly life, it's actually two words, right? It's life and godliness. And, and, and together, it kind of comes together as godly life. But here's kind of the point. Life, meaning he's given you everything, everything you need for life, like vitality and fullness and flourishing now and forever. And then godliness, he's given us everything you need in order to look and live like Jesus. So he's given us this gift of everything that we Need in order to close the gap and mature in our faith to look more like Jesus. Not lacking, fully equipped. Let me give you a picture of what this looks like, okay? Um, so you guys know how the world works, like things that w- were cool, stop being cool, and then are cool again. Um, Polar camera is a great example, right? First came out, I don't even remember when it did, okay? I don't think I was alive. Um, stop being cool, and now it's cool again. Everything comes back around. <clears throat> but these Polar cameras, I'm telling you, this is like one of the coolest, most ingenious inventions that the world has ever seen, right? Because you've got like the, 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 the cameras where you got the film. I'm like a part of my childhood is remembering those gold little Kodak film rolls just scattered all over my house, you know what I mean? And, and you take them to get developed and wait to see what you got, you know what I mean? Like you just had no idea. It's actually kind of exciting. It's like, oh man, here we go, right? And so you had that. So the camera took the picture. You get the film developed. But then you skip in like the, the digital realm and, and, and digital cameras and, and iPhones. And, and that's great camera phones. But your phone can't print one. That'd be, it'd be cool next. But like you've got to send it in. You, maybe you've got a printer at home, send it to Office Depot, whatever you kind of do. But this camera right here, like it can take the picture and it can print the picture. All right, here's my front row faithful. You guys want to see what you look like watching a sermon? Huh? All right, here we go. They said yes. Here we go. You signed a press release. I'm kidding. All right, here we go. Boom, there you go. Look at that. Watch this. Magic. Picture coming right out. That one, my friends, is for free. There you go. All right, I got it. I got it. Who wants, you got, who wants one? Who wants one? Raise your hand. Oh, there we go. Mom was like, I'll take one with my son. Oh, it's so sweet. There you go. That's amazing. All right, here we go. Nice catch. This Polaroid camera 
has everything that it needs to produce the picture within it. It lacks nothing. From capturing it to printing it, it's got everything that it needs. It lacks nothing. It doesn't need a printer. It doesn't need anything else. It's got everything that it needs already built in and hardwired in. In a similar and very real way, Peter is saying, you have everything that you need. You've been given everything that you need in order to pursue life and godliness. And he goes on in, verse, in the second half of verse three to tell us the means by which this happens. He says, um, you've been given by his divine power, you've been given everything that you need for a godly life through, he goes on to say, our knowledge of him, Jesus, who called us by his own glory and goodness. So we've been given everything we need by what means? By the following means. Through our knowledge of Jesus, who called us by his own goodness and who saved us by his own goodness and glory and kindness and love through our knowledge of Jesus. Now this word knowledge um, in the New Testament, it's not just a head knowledge about, it implies an intimate knowledge that assumes a relationship, okay? You know this. You can know about someone and then you can really know someone. You know this, right? Like you can know about some random celebrity that you follow on Instagram or you can know about some athlete and all their stats. You can know about a lot of people, but you don't really know them the way that you would know a spouse or a brother or a sister or a best friend or a roommate or somebody that you do life with. There's a level of intimate knowledge that assumes a relationship. What Peter is talking about here is experiential knowledge, a type of knowledge that's not just about head knowledge. It's about an intimate relationship and it assumes a connection, an experience with that person. So if we are following Peter's argument, here's his point. We have, we have access We have access to everything we need for life and godliness through our connection to Jesus. We have everything that we need. We have everything that we need to pursue pursue life and godliness through our connection, our relationship to Jesus. Now, keep thing one and thing two in mind. Thing one, Jesus has given us all we need. Thing two, to pursue a life that looks like Jesus. So then he goes on to the next verse and it, I'm gonna put the whole thing up there. It's kind of a lot, um, but it's, it's kind of confusing, but I want you to see the whole verse and we're gonna break it down together. It makes sense to see it all at once because this next verse, he kind of just goes on to further explain verse three, just with the different words. He goes on and he says this in verse four. Through these, what are these? His glory and his goodness. As in, in other words, because of his glory and goodness, because he is good and kind, because of his glory and goodness, he has given us, again, we saw that in the first verse, uh, a gift, this precious gift. Because of his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So there's a, lot, there's a lot going on here, but here's what he's saying. Is that these promises, these precious promises that Jesus has given us enable us, enable us to participate in the divine nature, to pursue life in godliness, to pursue a life that looks like Jesus rather than living a life ruled by our own evil human desires. These promises enable us, Peter writes. Jesus Jesus is the fulfillment of God's greatest promises. Peter is not talking about promises that have not been fulfilled yet. He's talking about promises that Jesus himself has already fulfilled. And because he's fulfilled them, we are enabled to participate in the divine 
nature, to look and live like Jesus, that we can live a new life, not ruled and governed by our own evil human desires, but we can live a life under the care and the leader of a new teacher and a new Lord, and his name is Jesus. Now, let me maybe state an obvious, but this is really important. If you are not participating in the divine nature, then we are left with our default nature. If you're not participating in the divine nature, then there's only one nature left to participate in, and that is our sin nature. Our default nature, the nature that we just have by way of being human. In fact, in the New Testament, our sin nature is called the flesh. And all the flesh is, the flesh is our propensity to sin. The flesh is our propensity, kind of like our inclination to move inward towards self and away from God, which always hurts others. Our flesh is kind of, and, and you felt this kind of this dueling desire inside of you, right? The flesh is our propensity to do the things that we hate, The flesh is our propensity to be selfish and prideful and even mean. Like our flesh is our propensity to gratify our own desires. No matter what it costs us or others, our flesh is our propensity to disregard the way of Jesus. And the human condition for all of us, the human condition for all of us is that we all have this sinful, broken nature. Regardless of what you do or don't believe about faith, all facets of our humanity have been affected. In fact, our sin nature, our sin nature is why that gap exists. Because we've talked about this before, but sin, sin does nothing but kill every good thing in your life and mine. It's all that it does. It's like a a poison. It, It kills relationships. It, it, it kills your influence. It kills your intimacy with those that you love the most. It breaks relationships. It suffocates your intimacy with God. It erodes your conscience. Most people in the room, you don't need me to convince you that, that sin does nothing but wreak havoc in our lives. And if you're not a person of faith, right, maybe you're like, I don't even really know about this whole sin thing, or maybe like you've come from a faith tradition where you just kind of got beat upside the head and it was like sin, 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 shame, 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 so your guard's immediately up. I get that, but let me just level with you for a second. Replace the word sin with whatever you want. Replace it with selfishness. Come on, replace the word sin with a lack of integrity. Replace the word sin with pride, Replace the word sin with greed. Replace the word sin with anger. Replace the word sin with infidelity. Come on, you know this. All of those things kill good things in your life and they add zero value to your life in the long run. They kill every good thing. So we have this default sin nature. So Peter's saying, look, we get to operate either in the divine nature that we've been able to operate in or our sin nature. And back to these promises then. Because the promises are what enable us, enable us to pick. That because of these promises, we can either live and be guided by and shaped by the way of Jesus or our own evil desires. So what are these promises? Well, there's many promises throughout the scriptures that Jesus fulfills. But there are two that immediately come to my heart and to my mind, I think, within the immediate context. These two promises, I think, are what are the forefront of what Peter is arguing. The two promises that enable us to participate in the divine nature and be transformed in the image of Jesus is this. 
Jesus defeated the power of sin and sent his Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. Jesus defeated the power of sin and he sent his Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. Don't miss this. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, it wasn't just so you could go to heaven one day. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, it's so that he could defeat the power of sin in your life today. In his resurrection, he delivered us from the tyranny and the power of our sin nature. And we have a brand new capacity to say no to the sin nature that wants to kill things. And we can say yes to the divine nature that wants to bring life. To say no to our default setting, and as we do, participate in the divine nature, looking a little bit more like Jesus and loving a little bit more like Jesus and living a little bit more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. He defeated the power of sin. And then, to what degree? To what degree? To what degree did Jesus want us to to enable us to participate in the divine nature He quite literally sent the divine nature to reside within our hearts. He defeated the power of sin. And then in a way that I don't fully understand, he sent his Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. The Holy Spirit that promises to comfort us in times of difficulty. The Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit that reminds us of what is true. Because of these promises... Because of these precious promises that Jesus fulfilled, he defeated the power of sin and sent his Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. We can say no to a sin nature that wants to kill good things and say yes to the divine nature that leads to life. We can be transformed. So then we've kind of come full circle from the beginning of the passage. What did Peter mean when he says we've been given everything we need This is what he means, that we follow a savior that defeated the power of sin and sent his spirit to live in our hearts to remind us of what's true and convict us of what's true. If I kind of sum it up, and it kind of rhymes a little bit almost, this might be a little bit cheesy, but write it down or at least remember it. This is the idea that in Christ, in Christ, we possess a new capacity to make a godly life our reality. In Christ, being relationally connected to Jesus, We possess a new potential, a new capacity, a new um, dawn before us to make a godly life our reality. That the life that you think is broken, that faith that you think is just broken, the life that you just think is too far gone, the pieces that you're not sure how to put together. Come on. We possess a brand new capacity, something we haven't had before, to make a godly life our reality. Peter says, you've been given everything you need, thing one. Um, <clears throat> me and Julie, my wife, uh, part of our, our bedtime routine uh, with our kids, that's an important detail. Um, <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, part of our bedtime routine with our kids, we got three. And um, two, our two oldest um, they share a room and they're like in big girl, big girl beds. And so part of our bedtime routine is we do stories and all that kind of stuff or read books, whatever. And then we'll each lay with them in bed for a few minutes and then switch. We don't do that with our youngest because she sleeps in a crib. Um, and so, so not above if I had to. But um, so this, this is four or five nights ago. I'm, I'm laying there with Harper. She's our oldest. And uh, we, we like to chit chat 
You know, it's like pillow talk. You know, like we, well, whatever, whatever happens, like whatever happened in that day or, hey, what, I like to ask her a couple questions. Hey, what was your favorite part of the day? Or I ask her, hey, what made you happy today? You know, just kind of just, just who knows where the conversation's gonna go. I just kind of follow her lead. And, and you know this from, uh, from, you know, spend the nights growing up, right? Like whenever you'd have pillow talk, there always comes a point where there's like a silence and it's like, oh time to go to bed. You just kind of know, you know, like it's an innate human thing. You always had that friend that is very unaware of when that silence happened, you know what I mean? And they started talking again and you're like, you've ruined it. We were about to go to sleep. So, so Harp and I are talking, you know, whatever. And, and we kind of had that 30 second, one minute of silence where I'm like, okay, this is the moment she's going to go to bed. So I just, I get cozy. Nine times out of 10, I fall asleep in the bed and Julie has to wake me up. So I'm I'm settling in, I'm closing my eyes, I'm like, this is the silence where we're going to sleep. And then, um, Harper, out of nowhere, we had not been talking, like, I don't remember what we were talking about, but out of nowhere, she just goes, Daddy. I'm like, yeah. She said, what you're looking for isn't out there, it's in here. And she points to my heart. I don't even know where that came from, but I was ready to run through a wall, man. I was like, let's go. Like, I'll, I, can do, I can do anything. I can do anything. I can go to the NBA. You know, like, I can do anything. I have no idea where it came from. Literally, I have no idea where it came from. It was the sweetest little, like, most innocent moment. And, and I'm not kidding, y'all. This is three or five, four or five days ago. I know I'm about to preach the sermon. And I literally just look at her. And I just said, I said, Harper, you have no idea how true that is. Look, I'm not sure where this lands with you. I know we're all on different journeys. Some of us of faith, some of us not of faith. Some of us trying to figure it out. Some of us trying to put the pieces together. Some of us been following Jesus for quite some time. And sometimes that ends up being more frustrating than the person that just started following Jesus. Okay, I'm not sure where you are on your faith journey. I don't know where you are on the journey of life, what you're navigating, what you're walking with, what your life looks like right now. But I just hope that today you can maybe leave here with a little bit of confidence, believing that this is true, that transformation is possible. Like some of us just need to change a mindset today. That freedom is possible. Healing is possible. Reconciliation and recovery is possible. Jesus made it possible because he loves. Jesus made it possible because he desires what's best for you. Jesus made it possible because He wants you to be the best human on this side of heaven because he knows that's what's best for you and the world around you. And he himself showed us the way. Jesus made it possible. And kind of like step one in this process, kind of the foundation is to believe that he made it possible. There might be some of you in the room and you've, you've never placed your faith in Jesus before. You've never become a follower of Jesus. And and maybe today, maybe today is that moment. Maybe today is that moment where you cross over and you take a step into faith and begin to build, as we'll see next week, on the foundation that Jesus won for us. So if that's you, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus before, I just wanna invite you right where you are to do so. You don't have to do anything magic. You don't have to say anything magic. Pray, you don't need to raise your hand. You don't do anything. Just right where you are, just in your own heart, just believe. Just right where you are. Believe. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose on the grave 
three days later, defeating the power of sin and death. Right where you are. Maybe just say it in your heart if that's you. I believe. I believe Jesus died. I believe Jesus rose. And I believe Jesus set me free. Just right where you are. We're gonna take a moment if that's you. Not to raise your hand, not to identify yourself. Just right where you are. Just right in your heart. I believe Jesus died. I believe Jesus rose. And I believe Jesus set me free. he did because he loves and for those of you in the room that are followers of Jesus you just need to know and be reminded today that it's possible transformation is possible not without its frustration because it's a lifetime process as we'll jump into next week but it's possible Jesus made it possible and that's thing one so what does that mean for us practically Well, that, my friends, is thing two. That's what Peter gets into in the next couple of verses, and that's where we'll pick up next week. Thing one and thing two. Without God, we cannot. Without us, as we'll see next week, God will not. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the love that you showed us by way of the cross. Thank you that because of Jesus, we've been given divine enablement to say no to the sin that wants to kill and to say yes, to participate in the life that you would have for us, to participate in the divine nature, to look live and love more like Jesus. Would you impress upon our hearts today how good you are, how much love you've shown and the lengths that you went to to make transformation possible. So today, Lord, we remember thing one. We believe in thing one. We put our faith in thing one. And we ask you as we continue to unpack this series, You would give us the courage to do our part, to follow Jesus, to walk in the light, and to follow his way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.